If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. During the summer of 1869, the great explorer, writer, and patron saint of America's national parks, John Muir, journeyed into the Sierra Nevada mountain range for the first time in his life. And we are fortunate enough today to have his journal, which gives us glimpses of his adventure and all of the things that he experienced along the way. Well, about halfway through that summer, he started to grapple with one of life's greatest of philosophical questions. Why, oh why, does poison ivy exist? Why would a good and loving God allow innocent people to suffer from poison ivy? (laughs) This is a question that I've also wrestled with on numerous occasions. I mean, I'm someone who can just look at a patch of poison ivy from like a mile away and still somehow manage to wake up the next morning completely covered in an itchy, oozing, disgusting rash. So why on earth did God create such a sinister plant to begin with, when all it does is bring misery to so many human beings? And the same question could also be asked of the Wisconsin state bird, the mosquito. (laughs) Why does the stupid mosquito exist to begin with? What was going on in God's brain when he made such a cursed insect? Of what benefit are these little blood-sucking demons to us, right? Well, as John Muir thought about these pesky nuisances of nature and why things like poison ivy exist, he eventually came to a beautiful and a revolutionary conclusion. Here's what he said. Like most other things not apparently useful to man... Poison ivy has few friends, and the blind question, why was it made, goes on and on with never a guess that first of all, it might have been made for itself. Poison ivy was made for itself, not for us. The mosquito was made for itself, not for us. The problem isn't with the existence of these types of things. The problem is with the lens through which we look at the existence of these types of things. For we human beings seem to be the only creatures in the entire known universe who evaluate the existence of other natural things based exclusively on their value to us and the pleasure that we can derive from them. When the modern person looks at Mother Earth, today they don't see much more than a bunch of resources to be used, to be consumed for our benefit. And we all relate to our planet as if she exists exclusively for our own comfort and pleasure and material wealth. This warped view of reality is what happens when we as a society bend the knee to mammon, to money, 
more than we do to that which is sacred. It's what happens when we make the pursuit of wealth and luxury our new religion, our path to enlightenment, our vehicle of salvation. That's what happens when we make saints out of rich people just because they are rich and just because they can acquire the type of stuff that we are envious of. My friends, as long as human beings look out over Mother Earth's vast meadows and see nothing more than good spots to plaster over with concrete for new suburbs and outlet malls, and not as ecosystems that should be allowed to exist in their own right. And as long as we human beings look at things like cows and pigs, chickens, kale and cucumbers and tomatoes, and see nothing more than items to be sold for a profit, and objects to be consumed, devoured for pleasure, and not as things that were created for themselves first and foremost. And as long as we human beings view the pristine beaches of our world as great places to construct profitable playgrounds for the rich, and as ideal vacation spots to sip on piña coladas, and not as places that should exist untarnished in their own right, then all of our so-called attempts to heal the planet and all of our green activism will fail. It will fail. Thomas Aquinas taught nearly 1,000 years ago now that we human beings are not, we are not the center of the universe. But this is a lesson that the entire Western world continues to be oblivious to. The greatest thing in the universe isn't the human being, Aquinas said. No, the greatest thing in the universe is the universe itself. This is a lesson that the greedy businessman and the green activist alike, they both fail to understand this in our own time. What the green activist of today fails to realize is that the arrogance that drives the greedy businessman to consume and to pollute Mother Earth for a profit, it's the same exact arrogance that leads the activist to believe that he can swoop in and be Mother Earth's savior. Both people believe that Mother Earth revolves around them and what they can make of her. Newsflash, Mother Earth doesn't need any of us to heal her. She can and she will do that all on her own. The only thing we need to do is just quit getting in her way. Much like a scab on the human body, if we just quit picking at it, the wound would heal all on its own. <clears throat> but if we fail to get out of her way, well... Mother Earth will find a way to eventually do that for us, whether we like it or not. She'll shove us out of the way. And no amount of mammon in our pockets will be able to save us from that day. The question isn't, will Mother Earth ever be healed? The question is, will we human beings be around 
to see it when it happens. We Episcopalians think that we are somehow different, more enlightened, because we watch CNN and documentaries about Greta Thunberg while other Christians watch the 700 Club, right? But we're no different. We're not different at all. Think about this. We've been using the line, this fragile earth, our island home, in one of our Eucharistic prayers for almost 50 years now. But have we ever stopped to ask this question? What exactly is so fragile about our planet, our so-called island home? She's not fragile. She has survived the Ice Age and meteor strikes and the Black Plague, has she not? Entire civilizations have appeared and disappeared, yet she is still here. And through her, God has birthed life and promoted the evolution of every species. And she has outlived the dinosaurs. <laughs> and she will outlive us if we remain hellbent, even when we remain hellbent, on going the way of the dinosaurs. There is nothing fragile whatsoever about her. It's only our arrogance that leads us to believe that she is so fragile that without us, without our greatness, without our protection, without our science, without our prayers, without our activism, she will somehow completely disintegrate. No, it is we who are the fragile ones. And it's only our fragile insecurity that leads us to believe that she is our damsel in distress and we We, her knight in shining armor. It's pure delusion. Mother Earth doesn't need our pity, our agendas, or our policies, or our science, or our activism, as much as she needs our reverence. And here's the thing. She doesn't even need our reverence, which is all the more reason to revere her. But even if we fail to venerate her, she will live on. We most likely will not. Seventeen hundred years ago, St. Gregory of Nyssa wrote a book called On the Making of the Human Being. In this book, he points out how Genesis tells us that human beings were created to have dominion over all the earth. But then he asks a really interesting question. Think about this. Here's what he asks. He says, if we human beings were created to have dominion, to rule over the earth, then why are we such weak, pitiful creatures? Think about it. Why don't we come into this world covered with fur? (laughs) to keep us warm during the cold, snowy, wintry months? Why aren't we armed with sharp claws or prominent horns to protect us? Why don't our feet have natural shoes like hooves to protect them? Why can't we fly like the bird? Why can't we hold our breath for longer, like a whale, to better navigate the waters? Why don't we have the venom of a viper, 
or the sting of a hornet to protect us and keep us powerful, right? Then Gregory goes on to say this, the human being is slower than the beasts that are swift on foot, smaller than those that are of great bulk. We're more defenseless than those that are protected by natural arms like shells and horns. So how can anyone say that we have obtained sovereignty over all things? Listen to Gregory's answer. He says it was the slowness and difficult motion of our body that brought the horse to supply our need. It was the nakedness of our body that made necessary our management of sheep for wool. And because we are defenseless, the dog became like a sword of protection for us. And the list goes on. In other words, his point is that human beings exercise dominion over the world only to the degree that we learn how to rely, to depend on everything else. Gregory turns, turns the whole concept of dominion, of ruling, upside down here. Now, for sure, he would totally agree with John Muir that all of God's creatures were made for themselves, not for us. And because of this, it's not they who need us, but it is we who need them. The only creature that doesn't exist for itself is us. It is we who were made to exist for all other creatures. And it's not from a place of strength that the human being reigns, but from a place of sheer and utter feebleness. The only way we can practice dominion is through dependence. And it's not by putting ourselves at the center of all things that we exercise our power. It's the opposite. It's by crucifying that part of ourselves that selfishly wants to put ourselves at the center of all things. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We are told that in the beginning, after God had created the whole world, he took a step back from his finished masterpiece, and he clapped his hands in delight, and he exclaimed, All of it, all of it is so very, very good. And we human beings were given just one job, one job. We had one job to do. Our only job was to not screw up the very goodness of God's masterpiece, God's creation. And in order to preserve this very goodness of the planet, God planted one tree, just one tree in the Garden of Eden. One tree that the human beings were not permitted to touch. One tree that human beings were not allowed to eat from. And this tree was the most powerful of symbols. For it, like poison ivy, like the mosquito, was made for itself, not for us. Through this one tree, the human being was meant to learn 
that the whole world is not ours to consume, that things exist for themselves, not for us. And by calling us to respect it, God was teaching us how to respect everything else he had created. But we didn't listen. We ate from that tree. And sin, division, brokenness, and not goodness entered the world. And we let ourselves believe that the fruit of that one tree existed mainly for us, mainly for our consumption and enjoyment. We let ourselves believe that that one tree wasn't created for itself, but for our pleasure and consumption. My friends, the first sin wasn't against God or our fellow human beings as much as it was a sin against Mother Earth. And the fall wasn't so much a falling away from God or some heavenly state, nor was it a falling away from our fellow human beings as much as it was a falling away from Mother Earth. So today, now more than ever, we need to ask, how can we do our part in reversing this fall, in changing this narrative, right? The answer is quite simple, actually. Learn from the sheep who lends us some of her wool to keep us clothed. Learn from the horse that lends us some of his speed to help us to get from place to place. Learn from the dog who risks her life to protect us when danger is present. Learn from the sun who lends us its light to supply us with warmth and vitamin D. Learn from the tree that lends us its breath to give us oxygen just to keep us alive. Learn from the cat in your lap who comforts you when you're having a bad day. Learn from the stream that lends us its water to keep us hydrated. Learn from the field that supplies us with things like corn to keep us fed. Learn, learn from Mother Earth as she, like her creator, teaches us that life is not about what we can take, but it's all about what we can give. Learn from our Lord as he teaches us that life is not about mindless consumption, but all about self-sacrifice. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me.